Meanwhile, we're still meanwhile. I think probably three or four months ago, I, I think I used this scripture. I can't remember, to be honest. I didn't go back and look at my notes. But um, I really, um, listen, I believe church should be an uplifting place. And I, I think if you're like me, a lot of times you show up and, and your life is, may, may look different than what you believe. Somebody say amen to that. Like, like, I believe God can deliver me, but I'm not yet delivered. I believe God can heal me, but I'm not yet healed. And so you actually show up in a situ- you show up in a context that's different from what you're hoping for. Amen? And so, so I think you should come here and then we should all collectively go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I believe that. And we're going to pray together. We're going to believe together. And, we're gonna, and, we're, and when I leave here, I'm going to be more convinced in spite of my circumstances than when I came in. And so, um, so this portion of scripture might not seem like it fits, uh, for something like that, but, um, but I'm hopefully you'll, you'll get this out of it. Most of the time we talk about money or stuff when we talk about this scripture, but I want to look at it in a different light. Matthew 25, chapter 25, 14, starting at verse 14. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many. Come and share in your master's happiness. In the verse 24, somebody say, oh my. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here it is. What belongs to you? His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I, so you knew that I harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I had not uh, scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and whoever, and, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and thrown and throw that worthless servant outside of the darkness. I know all of you are thinking now, man, that's steep. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, Lord. It has the infinite ability to change our lives 
The key to it is our willingness to hear you through it. Our willingness to be changed. And so I pray that with open hearts we come to you this morning and we allow you to change us. Change our attitude or change our mentality. Change our future today because we'll know you more after we're together. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said amen and amen. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, I refuse to waste it. Come on, tell him, I refuse to waste it. I refuse to waste it. It's good to see the Rodriguez family back. Um, they, they played such a huge role in the great giveaway. And then they left the day after, which is a very smart thing. So uh, it's good to have them back and refreshed. I refuse to waste it. You ever watch the American, uh, I think it's called American Pickers. I actually follow one of the guys on Instagram. And um, you've heard the one man's junk is another man's treasure. And these guys go digging through all this stuff. And, and God has given us the, the kind of neat ability to as- assign value to things, hasn't he? Like you get to do that. Now the tricky part is God assigns a value to it. And then you have free will to assign your own value to it. And, and what you value in life may be different from what I value in life and what you hold on to in your house. I might sell in a yard sale and vice versa, right? Like walk in somebody's house, you're like, why are you keeping that? Well, that was my great, great, great grandma's. And I'm looking at it like, well, it's still a piece of junk. Like, I don't understand. And so we, we, we all have the ability to put, place a value on something. And, but the, but the, the thing about it is, is God ultimately places value on it, and then he gives us the free will if we're going to agree with him or not. That's basically what it comes down to, doesn't it? And so so we we walk through life, and and all through Scripture, the, the writers of Scripture are trying to spur us to value the things that God values, like obedience and 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 pure worship and and all these things that that, that God says, hey, listen, the things that you are valuing here on earth don't compare to the same things that God values. And if you'd shift your focus from these things to these things, your life would be a lot different. And so there's certain things in our lives that sometimes are a little more difficult to value um, that we find in Scripture. And I want, to, I want to go through a couple statistics with you about modern day life. We tend to value things like success and happiness and money and, and all those things, right? Long life, health. Um, but there comes a price to valuing those type of things. In our society today, uh, I believe we're paying that price because, because we, don't, we don't value pain, do we? Come on, how many of you woke up this morning and when you got out of bed, you're like, oh, Lord, I thank you. Ah, thank you that my back hurts, Lord. Because you're telling me there's something wrong. We don't do that. We go, Lord, why does my back still hurt? And he usually taps me on the shoulder and goes, because you were an idiot yesterday, Chris. You're not 23 anymore and you try to lift the same thing. Right? Listen to some of these statistics. The United States has 5% of the world's population and consumes 75% of the world's prescription drugs. Do you realize that? Now, some of it's because we have affluence, 
and prosperity and we can afford prescription drugs. But we're but we like our prescription drugs, don't we? There was enough prescription painkillers prescribed in 2010 to medicate every American adult every four hours for a month. According to the CDC, sales of prescription opioids in the U.S. nearly quadrupled from 1999 to 2014. That's huge, right? Now listen to this statistic. These are from the CDC. But there has not been an overall change in the amount of pain Americans report. So we were reporting we're in the same amount of pain as we were in 1999. We were partying like it was 1999, right? <laughs> now, so, so we're still, in tw- all the way up to 2014, we were still partying like it's 1999. Still re- reporting the same amount of pain. And yet prescription opioids increased four times. So that tells me we're using more of the same thing to mask the same amount of pain. We are using more drugs to mask the same amount of pain. And I I started thinking about that. I thought, okay, so statistically, they're saying that we aren't experiencing any more pain. We're just using more and more and more things to bury it. And so, so we've put ourselves as a society into this very, very tough situation The trouble with that quadrupling is it says during this same time period, prescription opioid overdose, overdose death have quadrupled as well. Can I tell you this morning, there is a price for burying something. You realize that there's a price to pay for burying something. There's a price to pay for it. And I don't believe that we were created to bury pain in our lives. That we were created to bury sorrow. That we were created to bury difficult situations. And so, so I want to talk to you a little bit about this. There have been seasons in my life that have been consumed with struggle and pain. Just like yours. Where you wake up in the morning and you think, God, I don't, this hurts. I started having a little back pain. I don't, how old was I? 30? 28? I remember not being able to get out of a car, lower back pain, started going to the chiropractor, laughed at him. I just like laughing at chiropractors because I don't even know what you're doing. And, uh, and he looked at my lower back, did an x-ray, and he said, um, hey, were you in a car accident when you were younger? And I was like, no, man, I don't even. And he said, uh, well, your lower three vertebrae are um, concaved. They're not straight. They're not flat like they should be. They're actually concaved. He said, so sometime when you were growing up that you had a lot of pressure put on your lower back and it caused them to concave. And then his next statement, well, that's going to hurt later. And I was like, I'm so glad I'm paying you. This is awesome because I already knew it hurt. I already knew it. And so now, like some other people I know in here now at 40 years old, I will, I will frequent his place multiple times a year because I'll do something stupid and my back will start killing me to the point where I can't move. And some of my friends frequent it more than I do. Uh, but, but it's a part of life, right? It's going to be a part of my existence. When the doctor looks at you and says, that's going to hurt later. 
um, you pretty much just know that, that, that it's going to be part of my existence. So, um, so I try to do things now like I don't, I don't overeat as much all the time as I, yes, I do. Um, pain is a part of our life experience. Amen? Sorrow is a part of our life experience. These are, these are part of being alive. And in this parable, Jesus is telling about a master that goes away for a long time. He entrusts valuable things to three people. He entrusts things that he deems very valuable to, to three people. And he does it in different, in different amounts. He gives one guy five. He gives uh, one guy two and one guy one, right? The three and one. And the issue is when he left, he left them with the understanding that when he came back, there would be more than what he left them. That when he left, no matter how long, he didn't tell them how long he was going to be away. It just said he was away for a long time. But there was an understanding between them that here's what I left you with. When I get back, I'm expecting more. Look at your neighbor and said, he's expecting a return. On what he gave me. Now. You realize pain does have a purpose in our lives, doesn't it? Imagine if you couldn't feel any pain. You imagine how great a sideshow that would be? If you couldn't feel any pain, you could be on America's Most Talent. Got Mo- America's Got Talent, where you could go before the judges and you could poke yourself in the eye and be like, I'm totally fine. That, but pain has a purpose. Pain is your body's way of indicating that there's something wrong. That it's, it's your body's way of indicating that I have some messed up vertebrae in my lower back, and and it's just and it's the way it is. And and when I do certain things and move certain ways and pull certain muscles, they let me know that they're back there. It's a way that my body says, "Hey, Chris, you better pay attention to this. You better not let this go." Pain also is a weight that pushes us to God in certain circumstances. I don't know about you, but I've had certain pains in my life where I was out in the, in the living room, leaning down over the couch going, God, you've got to help me. And the help was, get up and tell your wife to take you to the emergency room. Pain is also a great motivator to get better, isn't it? To change your, change your ways. Now, there's no parents in here that ever believe pain changed the attitude of a young child, is there? Even, even you time out parents. Like, that's still painful for a two-year-old. I'm letting you know. My, uh, my middle daughter, Emma, will um, babysit uh, occasionally, and I'll come in the house every now and then, and there'll be a kid sitting in a chair. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? She's like, they're in timeout. I'm like, I didn't do anything. I just get nervous as soon as I walk in. They're like, I don't, don't get mad at me. Pain is a motivator. You ever met somebody that couldn't take constructive criticism? They stay awful, don't they? Don't they? You ever worked with somebody that couldn't take constructive criticism? They're like, hey, you know what? If you did this and this, they're like, no, 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 no. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm the best one here. No, actually, you're not. 
And that's why you never get promoted. And I'm trying to help you out. But they can't take the pain of somebody looking at them saying, Hey, if you just, if you just adjust yourself a little bit, then you'd be a lot better. So, so that type of pain in our lives forces us to get better if we accept it. And so I, I was thinking about this parable about how God entrusted these, these people with things that he deemed as valuable and how in certain, in, in almost in every person's life here, there will be or has been or you are currently in a season of suffering or pain. And so recently I started looking at that a little bit differently. I started thinking, God, if you're allowing me to go through it, then there must be something valuable in it. Amen? All right, now listen. If you're allowing me to walk through it, there must be some value in it. And the issue is with most pain in my life, even if God has placed value on it, I refuse to do the same. And so I'm looking at a difficult situation in my life, and all I'm doing is praying for God to take it away, not figuring out how I can give a return on it. You say, how do you give a return on pain? That seems silly. How do you, how do, you do that? The Bible says that when, when the master gave the servants. He said, listen, I'm going to entrust you with this. This is valuable things to me. These are valuable to me. And I'm going to give them to you. And when I give them to you, I expect a return on it. And all through the Bible, you can, you can see God weaving difficult situations and pain in people's lives. And there is great value put on it. Do you know that do you know that God didn't send his only begotten son to throw a party and redeem everybody? The beginning of the New Testament, there wasn't this, hey, Jesus is coming to earth and he's just throwing a block party and everybody that shows up will be redeemed. No, the story of redemption is that God sent his only son, right? And his only son was crucified on the cross for our sin. For the sin that you've committed, the sin you are committing, and the sin you will commit in the future. He covered it all. And how did he do it? Through suffering. Paul writes over and over again about, about these present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the glory. Like, like what it's doing, it's revealing God's grace in our lives. And there's value to it. But we live in a, in a society that... Avoids pain at all costs, don't we? We avoid pain at all costs. I know somebody that um, that, that had a, a, a their leg broke, and they they go to the doctor, and they get enough Percocets to take three or four a day for four months over a broken leg. And you know why? The doctor's not bad. That person's not bad. But we hate pain. Don't we? And we've conditioned ourselves as a society that if there's pain, there's nothing good that could come out of this. So I have to, I have to squelch it. I have to kill it. I have to, I have to bury the pain. And I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to do that. Pain in relationships. I'll just stop talking to you because I can't handle this anymore. I'll unfriend you on Facebook. 
Now everybody's like, oh, I got friends like that. I know what you're talking about. And then you, then you happen to go back through your Facebook thing because you, you didn't even realize it. And then you realized they unfriended me. And now we avoid all kinds of painful situations, don't we? Because in our society, pain is not something we value. Pain is something to be avoided at all costs. And we spend as much as we can possibly spend to bury it, to cover it, to mask it, to turn it in to something that's different from what it is right now. And so we quit relationships early. We avoid kids that are difficult. Come on, say, somebody say amen. We avoid difficult people. We avoid difficult situations. And we mask pain in our body. The instant it comes. And, we, and then we ask God, God, why? Why did you put me around these difficult people? You ever prayed that? Probably prayed it about your spouse at one point in time or another. Why did you put me around? These difficult people. The issue with it is if God allows us to walk through it, he has already put a value on it. You can guarantee it. The issue is, is if our value lines up with his. And most of the times in my life, when I started through a painful season, it didn't line up with what the value that he put on it. So what happens is I have this not only struggle in my current situation, but now I'm struggling with God. Because God is trying to walk me through a season that he's going to grow me and teach me and, and, and bring a return on something. And I'm arguing with him whether this is a valuable season or not. So I'm, I'm most of the time missing the whole point of it. Because I'm going, God, I don't even understand why you're doing this. This is pointless. This just hurts. This, this person hurt me or this situation hurt me or my body is a pain. Lord, I don't understand why you're doing this. And he's like, Chris, there is great value in what I've given you. So, if he lets you walk through it, it must mean he's put value on it. You ever notice that two people can walk through the same situation, one person never talks about it again, and the other one turns it into a ministry helping others? The master expected a return on what he gave the servants. The man who received five bags went out at once, put his money to work, and gained five more. The man with two bags gained, went out at once, gained two more. Can I say to, this to you? If you don't value it, you won't invest it. If you don't value it, you won't invest it. So there's things in my house that I could, I'll be honest with you, if you showed up tomorrow and stole it, I wouldn't even care. You have stuff like that in your house, right? I'm like, my guns are in the basement. Just please don't take them. You can have all the kids' stuff. <laughs> just walk in their room, clean it out. Like, I don't even care. But just stay out of my basement, please. But, I'm sorry, but the stuff on my wife's side of the bed, it's of no value to me. So I don't... There's things like that that you don't even... That Listen, there's things that the devil has convinced you that are worthless in your life. This God is trying to get a return on. Because, because if you don't value it, you won't invest it. It's like I could have, 
I could have something extremely valuable, be ignorant to the fact that it's valuable, and I could take it and, and put it to work or put it to good use or, or make a return. But because I'm ignorant to the value of it, it just sits. And so I believe oftentimes when we're struggling in our lives, when there's pain in our lives, when there's sorrow in our lives, God is saying this is such a precious thing. The psalmist writes that he writes every tear down in his book. That there's not a tear that you shed that isn't precious to God. That there's not a difficult situation that you walk through that's not precious to God. And so what happens is he puts this immensely high value on it, and yet we don't. And so the very thing that he entrusts us with, we refuse to invest. And just so we say, God, I want you to take away the thing that you're allowing me to walk through. And we, I pray that all the time. Lord, I just want you to take it away. And he's saying, I gave it to you to invest in. And I'm saying, but I don't want, I'm not an investor, Lord. He expected a return. God is allowing us to walk through difficult situations. And what do we do in the meanwhile? We have to understand something. Paul wrote in Romans, and it fits in this so well. He he wrote that that suffering, can you put the scripture up there? Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering, what? Oh, wait a second, wait a second. That doesn't go with my philosophy because suffering... Suffering just causes me to get medication. Suffering just causes me to avoid people. Suffering causes me not to go to Walmart at 10 o'clock at night and shop because it's, I can't handle it. And, and um, suffering just, no, 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 wait. Paul is saying that God, that God allows this in our life. And it what? If you work it, it will produce something. So go back to the parable. He leaves five, two, and one. And at once, the guy with five, it says he goes out and he, and he, and he starts to invest it. And you go, well, Chris, how do I invest my pain? I don't understand. I don't understand that. And then Paul comes along in Romans and he says, well, we glory in our sufferings because we know our sufferings aren't for just no reason. They're actually what? Bringing a return. My suffering will produce something. What does Paul say? He says, suffering produces perseverance. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about it this way. So the master goes and trusts something very valuable to the servants. He says, I'm going away. Now, watch what you can do with this. So Paul says, God's given us something. We're going to glory in our sufferings. He's given us something valuable here. I'm not just going to, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm not just going to put it away, but I'm going to embrace the season of life that I'm in. I'm going to embrace this thing because if God allowed me to walk through it, there must be value in it. And so if I value it, that means I'm going to invest it. And so my suffering can produce a return of perseverance. Come on. Doesn't the world need more people that won't quit? In the world, how come we still embrace 40-year-olds who act like 10-year-olds? They're like, I'm taking my ball and going home. You're not playing by my rules. What? <laughs> you know why? Because we medicate suffering. 
We've raised up a generation that can't handle it at any turn. And, and, the, and what Paul is saying is, like, you, if you're, if you're going to produce something, you actually have to embrace it. He said, we glory in our sufferings. Because if, he's, because if he's allowed you to walk through it, there must be value in it, right? So meanwhile, our suffering will produce perseverance. Now you think, man, that's over. That's awesome. That's a, I doubled my money on that one, right? Suffering produces perseverance. So the master came, left me one, and I made two. Yeah, that's great. Lord, I won't quit now. I won't quit when it gets tough. Now it's awesome. Lord, I, I stuck it out. My suffering produced perseverance. Now, flip to the next verse. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Now we're not only investing suffering. Now we're investing perseverance. And suffering will produce perseverance. Perseverance what? And now, now I'm two for one. You're better than the guy in the book. And character will produce hope. So Paul is laying out. He's like, if God has allowed you to walk through it, there must be value in it. He said, we will glory in our sufferings. Paul gloried in the pain that he received within his body. He, he gloried in the difficult situations that were around him with persecution. He gloried. He said, these chains are to promote the gospel. He said, I'm not complaining about my situation. I'm understanding that if he's allowed me to walk through it, there must be value in it. And I will invest it every time. So he said, my suffering will produce perseverance. Man, I'm going to be a guy that never quits. And when I become the guy that never quits, guess what happens? Character is developed in me. Don't you long for people in leadership that have character? Come on, you've been watching the TV just like I have. Don't we long for a society when a guy stands up and says, this is my word that you can go, I believe him. We don't have to sign 500 documents to keep him at his word. But you know what? As long as as a society we bury the thing God, God told us to bring a return on, we'll never be able to trust people. Because I never allowed what God valued to create perseverance, character, and hope in me. So I just buried it. Now, we come to practical means. Well, how do I actually do that? That's all flowery and everything. That's all like, I'm going to invest my pain. Like, what do I do, an infomercial? Like, how do I, what happens? How do I, what do you, what do you mean get a return on suffering? How, what does that look like practically? I want to I give you a story. Hopefully that'll illustrate that. And, and as far as I know, none of you have been through this, as far as I know. Now, I don't know some of you very well, but I'm pretty confident that none of you have been through this. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 5. It says, it went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. 
when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area, not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number. Somebody said, that's a lot of pigs. And that place smelled really bad. 2,000 pigs. Rushed, all these pigs rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind. Did you hear the word dressed? Dressed in his right mind and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon possessed man told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus didn't let him. When I first read that story, I thought, why did he just, come on. Why did he just let him hang out with him? It's the first time the guy had clothes on and who knows how long. Like, why did he just let him go with him? But said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. You should underline that in your Bible. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Verse 20, so the man went away. Now this is similar to the, to the parable that I just talked about. It said when the master entrusted the servant and gave him five things, it said he went at once and started to invest Here it says, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And the people were amazed. Now, I don't think I was wrong when I said I'm pretty sure none of you have experienced this, right? None of you have ever been naked in the tombs cutting yourself because you had a legion of demons inside you. Well, that's good. We're in good company. Here's where the investment part becomes difficult. How would you like to be known as the guy that nobody could bind and had so turned himself over to the devil that he couldn't even control his own body? You see, see, at some point in time, this guy gave himself over to the devil to the point where there was enough demons in him to kill 2,000 pigs. And if the Bible said no chains could hold him, No leg irons could hold him. No amount of people could hold him down. He was demon possessed to the point of having superpowers. And yet Jesus steps in on the scene. 
And he delivers him instantly. Come on and say, somebody say, if God, God's put value on it that we don't see. He delivers him instantly, right? But his reputation didn't change. His reputation hadn't changed yet. They didn't have the, 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 the five o'clock news or cable news, 24-hour cable news where it's like there was already reporters on the scene going, he's a new man, he's got clothes on, and now we can show him on TV again. They, they, there was nothing like that. So something had happened. God had done something amazing in his life through a horrible circumstance, and yet his reputation hadn't changed yet. He was still the guy naked, crazy, in the tombs cutting himself. And here's the problem with us. We have problems investing before our reputation changes. Because everybody knows our story, don't they? They know the suffering we've been walking through. They know the pain. Come on, they, they know how long we've been dealing with it. They know, they know how long we've been embracing it. They know how long we've been trying to cover it up. They know how long we've been masking it. They know how long we've been burying it. They know how long. And so Jesus does something very peculiar right here because it, it, I, I would want him to come along with me. That's why I'm not Jesus. I would be like, hey, this is awesome. You can come with me. And every time I say something cool, you can say, yeah. And he did that for me too. Wouldn't that be great to have somebody along with you? But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, take the suffering that you've experienced that I have now delivered you from and invest it back in your people. Practically, he says, go back right now. You're not going with me. You're not getting in the boat. You're not hanging out with me. We're not sitting here any longer. We're just, we're going to leave. And what are you going to do? You're going to go back and tell them. Now, here's a peculiar thing that he also tells him. Because here's what happens to me. If you go out to lunch with me, I may spend two hours telling you how awful a situation my life has been and 30 seconds telling you how much I trust God in the middle of it. Familiar to anyone? Don't we do that? Don't we do that? Because I'm like, whatever, man. It's just suffering. Whatever. Still trust God. Sometimes. Maybe. I don't even know. Jesus didn't tell him, go back and tell him how crazy you were. He says, go back and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Go back and tell them how he delivered you. Go back and tell them how, how you're in your right mind because of what Jesus has done for you. Go back and tell them that. You know what? Turn what the devil meant to kill you with. Turn it around and bring an investment out of it. I wish somebody heard me this morning. Listen, you have to realize, just like Pastor Don said last month, there is a devil out there trying to kill you every single day, every single waking moment of your life. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy over and man, he's really focused. Three things. He's not a scatterbrained devil. I'm going to steal, kill, and destroy by whatever means necessary. And he's coming at you. But you know what he's not anticipating? He's not anticipating you bringing your return on it. He's not anticipating that God would allow you to walk through something difficult. What God would allow pain to enter your life 
And then you twist it on him. And then you start to bring a return for the kingdom. The devil never anticipates that, does he? We talked last week about, about Romans 8.28, that God works all things together for good, that those of them that love him are called according to his purpose. And it is, it is that very thing that while Satan is trying to kill you, meanwhile, God's working out an investment. He's saying, listen, don't throw this thing aside because I'm telling you, I can use it. If you will value the suffering like I value it, if you will place value on it like I did with Jesus, if you will place value on it, that I'll bring a return on it that you can't imagine. And our society is trying to bury it as deep as we can. How are you doing? Good? How about you? Good? Good? Have you ever, like, we stand at Walmart, we go to Walmart a lot. I'm just, it's just part of our life. Sam's Club and Walmart. How are you? Good, man. Everything's good. Yeah. Took my four pills today. Everything's good. Matter of fact, took them all early. Took them all at one time. It's all good. Because you know the people in front of you don't value pain. We've got to get our heads out of the sand. We've got to quit bearing it. And we've got to... Start bringing a return on it. We got to start saying, listen, I need to tell you how much the Lord has done for me. That in the midst of immense suffering, he has sustained me. Come on, is that anybody's story this morning? In the midst of immense pain, he has made a way. In the midst of great trial and tribulation, he has given me more than enough. In the midst of financial ruin and disaster, he has provided more than enough. In the midst of this, Jesus has delivered me. Practical return? Go back to your home and tell them what Jesus did. Go back to your job. And quit bearing the pain and start telling them how God has sustained you in the midst of it. Make the story about Jesus and not how much we're suffering. Amen? He's saying, listen, when I come back, I want to return on everything I have given you. I want to return on everything I have given you. On the whole deal, I want to return. So we have to start valuing things differently. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to refuse to waste it. Come on, say it. I refuse to waste it. From 1999 to 2014, more than 165,000 people have died in the U.S. from overdoses related to prescription opioids. That is more than the population of Berkeley County. In the last 15 years, Berkeley, Berkeley County and Morgan County put together have died burying pain. The whole time. That pain is precious in God's sight, and he's asking for a return. Can I just say this at the end? You can stand for this one. That'll make me quit. Let me say this at the end. Did you remember the parable at at the beginning? The guy that got five, the guy that got two, the guy that got one. And the guy that got one, at the end, he comes back and he admits to bearing it. Lord, this is what you gave me. You valued it, I know. But I I got nervous and buried it. And then he communicates to the master what he really thinks of it. He says, I knew you were a hard man. You know what's peculiar about that? The other two guys didn't say that. They didn't say anything like that. They didn't say, man... I, I, I had five, you gave me five and I got 
five more because I knew you were mean? No, I think those guys' mentality was totally different. Lord, you entrusted me with this. You valued it. And, and, so, and so I valued it. So you, you allowed me to walk through it. So there must be value in it. And I refused to waste it. And so I'm going to bring a return on it. The last guy, the last guy showed what he thought about the master. And can I say this to you? How you handle what he entrusts of you shows your opinion of who he is. How you handle what he has entrusted to you shows your opinion of who he is. It shows the value that you place on him. And we get tied up in the money thing all the time. Like, oh, it's about money, it's about money. But listen, he has allowed me to walk through every season of my life. And so I'm thinking, God, I've walked through this really difficult season. And so what I need to do is if I come at it from I don't understand why you're doing this to me. You're mean. You're, you're a hard man. You, you reap where you don't sow. You're, you're doing all this stuff and now you're doing it to me and I don't get it. Come on, you've heard your friends talk like that, right? Or I could say, if you let me walk through it, there must be value in it. And you're a God of mercy and grace and you're a God of goodness. And I know you'll sustain me in it. And I know you'll bring a return in the middle of it. And Lord, I trust you more now than I ever have. Because what I do with what he's given me determines how I value him. And Lord, I refuse to waste it. I refuse to waste it. I refuse to bury the season of my life that you've given me. Some of us block out the very thing that he wants to use for a return. Can we make a commitment this morning to invest it? Some of you know the story of Joseph. Coat of many colors all the way to the dungeon. It's an awful story. If you just look at it from a suffering perspective, it looked like pointless, awful suffering. Pointless. And yet at the end of Joseph's life, when his brothers are standing in front of him, he said, what the enemy meant for evil, what he tried to kill me with. God allowed me to bring a return on it. He said, God orchestrated it for the saving of many lives. And he said, in the middle, through all that, I knew that he valued what he was walking me through. And so I valued it and I value God and I understand now what was happening. And now there's a return on it that you can't imagine. And because of the suffering in Joseph's life, there's an innumerable amount of people that were saved through a famine. And I don't know about you and your story, but I'm just, I'm just believing enough this morning that there's a story in you. There's a story right now happening in your life at this moment that God is saying, if you would trust me with it, if you would invest it, if you would refuse to waste it, I could transform the lives of people. Your workplace, your home, this church, this community. Listen, with God, all things are like, I'm looking at you and your story thinking, sky's the limit. How far can we tell it? How far can we proclaim it? That this is what God has done. Amen? Come on, bow your heads, close your eyes. Just repeat that that we... This week, Lord, I refuse to waste it.
I refuse to waste it. If you're allowing me to walk through it, there must be value in it. And in the meanwhile, I refuse to waste it. I refuse to waste it. I refuse. This is the season of my life, and I will bring a return on it. Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray that we value the same things that you do. We pray that we wouldn't overlook something amazing that you're doing in our lives. We pray that even in suffering, God, even in pain, that we would, we would see you as a mercy, as mercy and gracious, and that you're working in our lives for a return. Lord, I pray that you'd open up somebody's eyes in here to something they've been burying that could transform the people's lives around them. Lord, I pray. I pray that they would lift it up and invest it this morning. They would begin to speak of how you, how much you have done in their lives. And I pray, Lord, that we'd see a harvest because we've invested what you gave us. We've invested what you allowed us to walk through. We've invested even the pain more. Lord, we pray that we receive a harvest. Lord, that lives will be changed. I pray that you give us the courage and faith this morning to do just that. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Come on, church. Could you give him honor and praise this morning? Come on, you got to determine in your heart. You got to determine in your heart not to waste it. Father, I pray a blessing over them today. I pray a blessing over them today, Lord. Lord, that they'd be determined more than ever to take what you've given, to take what we're walking through and invest it and not waste it. In Jesus' mighty name, we're looking for the stories, God. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen.